Today we're going to be continuing on with our series that was started a couple of weeks ago called Be Made Whole. Be Made Whole. And we took the inspiration for this from a scripture where Jesus came by a pool, which was like a pool that was known, a pool for where people used to go in and try and get healed in this pool. And there was a lame man and he came up to him and he said, do you want to be made whole? He asked him that question, do you want to be made whole? Why is that important? Because he could see the guy wasn't completely whole. Of course, he was crippled and obviously there's a good chance he wanted to be able to walk and if he was by in the pool of healing, then surely he was waiting to get healed to be able to walk. But there was a question that he gave to him is, do you want to be made whole? Do you actually want to have this? It's very easy to assume that everybody wants to be made whole. Everybody wants to be able to have the best life now. But we still have to make a choice to say, yes, I want it. And we still have to be, make a choice to actually receive it. So recently I've been studying this about being made whole. So I always start with, what is the word whole? What is the word that we're talking about? What does it mean? What does the word whole mean? And here's what it says in the dictionary. It says, number one, comprising the full quantity, amount and extent without diminution or exception. Now you understand entirely what that means. That basically means to have everything without lack. Number two, it also means to be complete, to be completed. Number three is to be undivided and in one piece. That's what the dictionary says about wholeness. But what I've noted is this, is that wholeness is not always rooted in a problem. I think sometimes, oftentimes we think of wholeness as something that I have a lack or maybe I'm in sin or there's been a problem, I didn't have enough education in life, I didn't have enough money in life, I didn't have enough uh, resources, I didn't have enough family or present family in my life, and that's why I'm lacking in my life. That's why I'm not completely whole, but I've got news for you. Wholeness is not always about something that was taken from you. It's not always about something where there was a problem. Here's the proof of it. In John chapter nine, verses one to three, it says this. As Jesus went along, he saw a man who was blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born so blind? And Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be, what does the word say? Displayed in him. That the works of God might be displayed in him. You see, incompletion is a part of the design and the story that God has for us. Incompletion is not something where it's constantly caused by a problem. Now, sure enough, there's often roots of sin or roots of dysfunction in our family, and we have to root those things out in order to try and create a completion or a wholeness in our life, in our marriage, and in our families. But there are times and there are things in our lives where it's not about that. Incompletion is a part of the actual design of God. Why? Because it's about manifesting his design. It's about manifesting his glory, his wonder, his joy, his faith, his righteousness. It's about manifesting everything that he is and everything that he has in our lives. And that's the wholeness that I want to look at today. I want to look at the wholeness that is meant to be or the lack of wholeness that is meant to start in your life and meant to be manifested in your life. Let's look at how God designed these things to become whole in our lives. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna switch now to a completely different scripture. 
I want to read from Genesis chapter 1 and verses 28. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. It says this. God blessed them, talking about Adam and Eve. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Now, why am I taking this scripture? I'll tell you why. Because this was the command that God gave to them before anything went wrong. Before sin made us partly unwhole. Before sin took anything away from us. Before sin destroyed any part of God's design. This was the command that God gave before anything fell apart. And in it, I believe you can see where God has designed that we are meant to be a part of creating or finishing off the design of God. Of finishing off the wholeness that he wants to create in our life and in creation. And there's three things that I see from this scripture here. The first one I see is this. That blessing precedes everything. Blessing precedes wholeness. Blessing precedes completion. What does the word blessed mean? Blessed means to devote, to have divine favor, to bestow good upon. So basically what God did is God said, before you go out and finish off everything that I already started, before you go off and finish off all the stuff that I have put in place for you to go out and put the, the, the stuff together like a jigsaw puzzle, before you go out and subdue the earth and conquer the earth, I want you to know this, I bless you in this. That means that I support you in this. I'm your greatest cheerleader. I'm your funder. I'm the guy who's going to give you the resources to be able to do it. I'll give you the strength. I'll give you the miracles. I'll give you the character. I'll give you the confidence to do it. I'm, I'm the one who's got your back. I'm your daddy, right? Who's your daddy? God's your daddy, right? God is your daddy, and he said, I've got your back. I'm not sending you out to be amongst, amongst the uh, stuff by yourself. I've got your back and I'm telling you, I want you to do it. I'm devoting it to do it. I'm giving you my favor, all my results, my, my resources to back you in this. And I'm giving you the goodness to sustain you in doing this. That's what blessing means. And the first thing he said is that God blessed them. Then he told them what to do. Blessing always comes first. The problem I think that we often have is that we believe that once we get the stuff, once we do the stuff, then we will be blessed. And the reason why we do that is because that's the only way that we often know how to measure blessing in our lives. And what we do is we flip it the wrong way around and we say that once that stuff is done, then I'll be blessed. Let me give you some examples. Typical wrong ways that we view blessing. Here's, here's the first one I wanna suggest is, I will be rich once I have money. Listen, once you have money is not what makes you rich. God said you are rich and you are blessed to be rich. You are blessed, therefore you're already rich in the spirit. You're already rich with everything you'll ever need. And the Bible says that God will give us everything and anything we'll ever need. You're not rich because you have money. You're rich and then you become into money, right? That's the way it works in the Bible and in, 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 the, in the ways of the kingdom of God. The second one I've got is I will be at peace once I have no trouble. I will have, oh, this is a good one. <clears throat> I'll have peace once I have no trouble. I've got news for you. You're never gonna be out of trouble. Has anyone got any children? 
right? You've permanently got trouble in your life, right? You've always got issues or problems in front of you. Children are always going to create obstacles in front of you that are going to cause you trouble. I've got two of them. I know exactly what it's like. Has anyone been married recently or gotten married in the last while? Have you ever had trouble in your marriage? Hello? I'm telling you, trouble is always going to exist. Even Jesus said when he was praying for his disciples before he ascended up to heaven, he said, Father, I pray that you would protect them in the world and not take them out of the world. God wants to give you the support in the middle of trouble. It's not when trouble disappears in your life that you suddenly have peace. It's because the Spirit of God is in your life because you are blessed. You have peace in your life regardless of what trouble you have. Here's another one for you. I'll forgive them when they say sorry. Good luck with that one. They're maybe never going to say, you're right and I'm wrong and I'm so sorry. Well, now that you've said I'm sorry, I will now forgive you. If you don't decide to forgive them whether they say sorry or not, you're going to be unforgiveness in unforgiveness for the rest of your life. Guess what doesn't happen? You don't get accepted by the Father when you have unforgiveness because it says, how can you be forgiven if you don't give forgiveness? Blessing doesn't come when you suddenly get probed and someone says, I'm sorry to you, and now you forgive, and now you're blessed. No, you're blessed because you choose these good things before they ever happen, right? Here we go. I will take a risk once it's safe. If you have to wait till it's safe, it's never a risk, right? There has to be a level of unsafetyness. I'm making up words now. Unsafetyness in order for you to be able to take a risk. I will love once there is justice. When it's proven that they're wrong and I am right, then I will give them justice. Good luck with that one. Listen, when I get to heaven, I don't want to hear God say, hey, so you were expecting to be proven right, but it turns out you were entirely wrong all along. But the thing that I'm most disappointed in you about is this, you withheld your love from those people simply because you were waiting for them to be proven that they were wrong. You can't wait for that. God is only proud of you because you choose to give your love regardless of what is wrong has been done to you. Here's the next one here for you, I've got for you. I will not be angry once they change. <clears throat> once they change, then I will stop being angry. You're not blessed because of that. You're blessed because you choose not to be angry. I'll be patient when the problem disappears. Again, good luck with that one. The last one, I will give when I have enough money. Let me tell you, it doesn't work that way. You are blessed before you become blessed. Blessing is where you are it before you become it. You are blessed before it manifests into your world through the stuff that is around you, before it manifests into the, uh, the, the, the relationships that are around you. But note this, if you decide that you are not blessed, then you are right. If you decide to reject blessing by the way that you talk, by the way that you think, by the way that you act, then you are correct you have no backing and nothing can come to you. No, no resources, no multiplication, no fruitfulness can come to you because you've decided that you're not blessed. Blessing always precedes multiplication. That's what happened with Adam and Eve. That's the way it must happen with us. It goes from the invisible to the visible, from the spiritual to the physical. In Matthew chapter six, it says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Blessing comes first, manifestation comes second. Here's the second thing that I find as I'm studying this scripture. The second thing that I find in studying this, number two, is unity powers. Unity powers. 
Genesis 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse 28, it says, God blessed, what's the word say? Yeah. Them, and he said to them, be fruitful. Let me say it again. God blessed them, and then he said to them, be blessed and go forth and multiply, multiply, be fruitful. Notice this, he didn't say, hey, Adam, I bless you, and I want you to go out and do a job for me. I'll take your wife with you too, right? He didn't say, Adam, I bless you. Okay, let, let me go spend some time with Eve. Okay, Adam, I bless you, and then you're all separated. No, he blessed them as one. Listen, fundamentally, they weren't able to have children unless they were one, right? Unless they got busy with a whizzy and got together and then had children, right? That's the only way it really works. Blessing comes when there is unity. Power comes. The manifestation of that blessing into the world around us manifests when there is unity brought together. Let me describe it this way. So recently, I watched a, a, an interesting program that you can get on Netflix, but I found out you can only get it in Britain, so I watched it when I was in Scotland then, and I don't think you can get it on Netflix here, and it was about measurements. It was called Precision, the Measure of All Things, and I found it really fascinating, and, and it was about the history of measurements. Now, now, do you want to learn something about measurements today? Excellent, I'm glad you're so enthusiastic about that, right? Because I'm a nerd when it comes to this type of stuff and, 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 and you're gonna go back to school today, right? I'm gonna, so I'm gonna take you through a very quick history of how measurements became very powerful in the world, right? So today, we measure things with a measuring tape and on the measuring tape, what is the increments of that measuring tape? One of them is inches and the other one is feet, okay? So inches and feet is the way that we measure things. Say again, and yards and things like that. Okay, writing things on, that's good. Okay, so that comes from what you call an imperial system of measurement. Now, believe it or not, America and Burma, uh, which I think is called Myanmar now, and Liberia are the only three countries in the world that are still using the imperial system. Everyone else is using the metric system uh, if you want to catch up, it's really easy to switch over to the other one. But I don't know why we're still always in the imperial system in America. But the imperial system came from King Henry I. This is how they started to measure things. They said, okay, the way we're going to measure things is we're going to take the foot of the king and we'll measure that. And whatever the length of his foot is, is one foot. Right? And they said, let's break it up into increments. I know. Let's measure the end of his finger and we'll call that the inch. And whatever, however many of his fingers fit into his foot, that's how many inches will be in a foot. That's why you have 12 inches in a foot. You follow me so far? You're sitting there going, this makes no sense. Wait, it gets better. And then they're like, let's measure the yard. Okay, the yard will be from the end of the king's nose to the end of his fingers. Can you believe that? And so that's why we've got three feet in one yard and 12 inches in one foot. Are you following me so far? Can you believe we're still measuring things by that way? I thought we kicked England out of America, but never mind. Okay, we kept his finger, we kept his foot, and we kept his nose with the length of his arm. Okay, so after that, there was a bunch of French guys that got together and they said, oh, this makes no sense whatsoever. Oh, we should come up with a brand new way of measuring everything, because this is how the French speak. Oh, right with my cheese and my onions. And so they said, let's measure everything by a metric system. And what they did is they took the measurement from the North Pole all the way down to the equator, and they said, let's divide it by 10 million units, and that will be called a meter. 
So now we have a meter and we have a kilometer, which is a kilometer, and that's how they measure miles per hour by kilometers per hour. So they had this metric system that came up and they said, everybody will be able to work on the same system. Do you know why they did that? Because when the first king died, the second king came along and said, let's change the length of the foot to measure my foot. So the inches and the feet kept, measure, kept changing every time the king died. And the French went, oh, no, 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 this cannot be done. I'm not be true. Let's make a metric system that will always be the same. And they came up with the metric system. Then as we progressed in history in the last century or so, they started to discover there were better ways of measuring things. And that's when we came up with wavelengths. We decided to not measure it by the, 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 the circumference of the earth, but to measure things by a constant thing called a wavelength. So light travels at like a thousand feet a second or something. I don't know what it is. 30,000 miles a second. It's really fast. But there's a distance between the wavelengths from the crest to the other crest. And the distance between that is how they're able to measure things perfectly in a very microintesimal uh, 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 type of way. And so lasers are the reason why we're able to build such amazing buildings. In fact, lasers are the reason why we're able to get such detail in the way that we're able to understand things by weight, by measurement, by speed, by volume, by height, by all these different things. Now, why are all these things so important to you? I'll tell you why they're so important to us. Because the agreement of measurements in unity is what has empowered society to conquer the earth in a way that we have never seen like we have seen in the last century. For example, when they were able to agree on what the weight of things were and what the value of things were, then there was Trust was built into business. You see, when you go to uh, the local grocery store, you go to Publix or something, you'll notice that they have the price of things and then they'll tell you how much money you're spending per weight, per ounce, per kilogram. You can literally get down to the infinitesimal measurement of how much is in that box of cereal compared to this box of cereal and you can quantify whether you're getting something that is worth your money. Measurement started to build trust in business relationships. It even went to the place where measurements and starting to agree on measurements and having unity was able to create mass production in our culture. In the early 1900s, um, you've heard of Henry Ford. He was one of the first people to come along and say, I believe we can build more than just one or two cars a day. I think we could build probably 100 cars today. And the way he did it was he industrialized mass production. And the way he did that was he made things uniform. He standardized it. So the guy over here who's making a bolt there and the company over here that's making a bolt here were two different bolt sizes. And things were confusing. And he said, stop, let's stop. Let's make all the bolt sizes the same size. So now that we can stop messing around with problems and, 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 and confusion between business, let's agree on the way that we're going to work together by having an agreed standardized size. This got to the point that when we were able to control our language and our conversations and our measurements with each other, we were able to get to the place where we were able to put a man on the moon to the point that when we sent the rocket up to the sky, if it was projected one millimeter off, it would have missed the moon by 4,000 miles. Wow. Precision is powerful. And all of this got to the point that to be fruitful, you must have unity in your words, in your spirit, and in your deeds. 
To be precise is what gives us greater fruitfulness. It gives us greater conquest in our life. You see, I believe that we get to a place where we don't know how to agree with our spouse. And that when you're in a disagreement with your spouse, let me tell you, you're not conquering anything. You're not building something new. I mean, the the worst level of disagreement with your spouse is even when you go through a divorce, and many of you have gone through that. Divorce hasn't multiplied your wealth in your life. What it does is it takes money away. It takes resources away. It takes stuff away from you. Most of you can probably give testimony of that more than I can ever understand that. If that's true, then what is the inverse like? Imagine the unity that we could have together in our marriage to be able to do the things that God has called us to do. Last year, at the beginning of the year, we, uh, Crystal and I, uh, 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 well, my wife decided that um, we were gonna change things in our household. And I'm like, oh, that's great. Thanks very much, wife, because, you know, that's what happens. And, and, so, and so my goal in life was I wanted to be out of debt. I wanna be debt-free. And sure enough, by the age I hit 40 years old, I got out of debt from my house and no mortgage, no payments for my cars. I was absolutely debt-free and I had achieved my goal and it felt great and everything was nice and dandy until my wife came along and said, I think we should get a bigger house. And I'm like, really? Because I doesn't go along with the plans that I think we already had. I mean, this is, we were gonna be debt-free. And she goes, no, I I think we need to get, I think we need to sell this house, get a better house, get a bigger house, and that's what I think we should do. And I'm like, well, that's not what I think we should do, right? And then, and then I, said, I said, so how do you know this is what we should be doing? She said, because I really feel that in my spirit. I feel that's what God's leading us to. Now, here's the thing. Her vision was different from my vision. It'd be easy for me to then get into a fight, to get into disunity with my wife and say, no, you've got to prove to me with evidence that this is the right thing to do. Show me on a piece of paper how this is financially gonna work. I could have started throwing things at her to be in, and all I would have done is been in disunity with her. You see, I don't have permission to decide that everything she says is wrong and everything I say is right. The only thing I have a right to do is I have got to be in the right spirit with whatever she brings my way. Same for her. She has to be in the right spirit with whatever I bring her way. Why? Because that's the only way we're gonna multiply things in our lives. If we have a spirit of unity amongst us, if we're in agreement with what we do. When I say agreement, I don't mean that I have to agree with everything she says. She has to agree with everything I say, but we have to be in the right spirit. And the problem is, when you speak your words out in disunity, in pulling down what the other person has done, or questioning, undermining what the other person is thinking, you're literally killing your ability to take hold of the greater things that God wants to give to you. You see, it's not how much money you have that's gonna give you the ability to conquer the world. It's not how much connections or education or abilities or skills that you have that's gonna make you taking hold and subduing the earth. That's not gonna make you suddenly multiply. It's the fact that you operate in the blessing that God has given you now. The blessing in your spirit, the blessing in your mouth, the blessing in the way that you speak with your spouse. And so what I did with my wife and I said, well, if God has told you to do it, what am I gonna do? I'm gonna be here to support you in whatever you think God has told you to do. So she is the one who went looking at houses. I can't stand looking at houses, right? So I'm glad God told her to do it and not me to do it, right? And so now we're at a place where we have got this house that is way beyond what our resources could have afforded. And you know why? 
because that was the plan of God, we believe, in our lives. And all we had to do was to respond to it. I didn't have to see it or understand it. I had to be in unity with the one who had been given the vision to the point that since then, I believe that God has changed my mind and my perspective on this stuff. And recently, I felt that God gave me a word that just made me go, oh, that is awesome. And the word that I felt like he spoke to me was this. You have to understand that your house is in debt to you, not you to your house. And I started thinking about that. And it's easy to think that, oh, well, now I've got another mortgage on my house, so I'm in debt. Sure enough, the Bible says that the, 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 the borrower is slave to the lender, it says in Proverbs. And there's a true, there's a, a degree where that is true. But when I, more I studied this, the more I realized that God said this, that you're not in debt to what God has given you. It's in debt to you because God has given it to you. Do you know why my house must produce? Do you know why it must create blessing in this world? Do you know why? Because I'm in it. You're all thinking, come over to my house then. Because I'm in my house. I'm the vessel of blessing. I'm the one that has been blessed. I'm the carrier of what blessing is. That house can't produce without me. It has to produce with someone who carries blessing. Hello! You, if you are blessed by God and you're operating in the blessing of God, you're operating with agreeing that he has blessed you, you're operating in blessing your children and your wife and blessing everything that is around you, you can expect that everything that is in your life must result in fruitfulness for you. It has to respond to you because God has designed it that way. Are you following me so far? Number three, say oh yeah. Number three, Potential progresses, potential progresses. The potential of everything in the world has been built into the world. God has already put it there. It's not something we have to create. It's already designed. It's in a sense, it's just we have to connect the dots together. God already put measurements in the world. Measurements and wavelengths already existed from the beginning of time. We didn't create it. We only discovered it. And that's what gives us laser measurements. That's what allowed us to get to the moon. In Genesis 1.28, it says this, that God blessed them and said to them, be, what does that word say? Fruitful and what? Increase in number and fill the earth and subdue the earth. All of these things are part of increasing progress. It's not a destination it's a progress, it's a journey, it's a place that you get to. It's not something you get to and you're finished. Now, I do believe that joy comes from when you have a sense of completion. Have you ever, ever said that before? Have you ever done a job before and you're like, I just have a sense of completion about this. It feels good to know that you're finished with something. The thing is, as soon as you're finished with something, you start up the next step that goes to the next thing that God has for you. The first house I had was a piece of junk house and I had to fix it up a lot and do a lot of work on that house and, and it took me quite a few years to really get it to the place that I wanted to and after a couple of years, it started to become a burden to me. It started to be just a job. It started to weigh down on me and I started to think about this. Why is this such a stress for me? Why is it now, the thing that was a joy when I signed the contract to buying this house, why has it now become something that's not a joy? And I believe it's because of this, because I was tying my joy to the end result of the house. 
I was waiting for the house to be finished and completed. And of course, it was taking way longer than I ever imagined. If you tie your joy to the end result of completion of everything in your life, you're going to have to wait until you die before you feel that joy. What I realized was I had to take joy in whatever I had completed today. Whatever small thing I had to, if I had to paint that door, screw in this screw, if I had to uh, clean this, this part of the house, I have to do something here, even though it's not the completion of everything in my house, I had to take joy in completing that one thing today. Why? Because everything is on a slow progress in life. Everything is a step by step. Everything is not just done completely and all finished in one fell swoop. You see, potential progressing is about ultimately you participating. It's about you being a part of the process. God could have built everything and created everything that we ever needed, every, everything that would ever give us joy. He could have created it and given it to us. But no, he didn't. He said, I've done everything that I've got to give to you. I've already built it. I've spoken it into place. I'm blessing you. I'm giving you permission. Now go finish the rest off right? Participation is such an important part of our faith. How do I know this? I'll tell you why. Let's go back to the first scripture that we began with from John chapter 9, verse 1 to 7. It says this, as Jesus went along, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said. But this has happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Now, I love this story because, well, you know, when you, sometimes when you read it, you're like, oh, he spit on the ground. And then, can you imagine if you had a sty in your eye and you went to the doctor and said, I've got this big sty in my eye, that's really irritating me. And he's like, oh, hold on a second. <laughs> Massive loogie in the mud, right? Massive loogie. And then he gets it, the dust, and then he balls this little mud thing up and then he goes, just sit still, Peter. And I'm like, what are you doing? Get away from me with your disgusting spittle in my eyes, right? Just get him away. I'll keep my sty. No, no, no. This will fix it for you, Peter, right? There's some mud and then presses it into my eyes. Does that feel good? It's like a spa. It's like a mud face pack, isn't it? It's just like massaging into your face right now, right? Are you okay with this? I love it when we read scripture and we just skip over the crazy stuff. Crazy stuff is what makes me read the Bible in the first place, right? After saying this, he spat on the ground, made some mud with saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. I thought that was crazy until I read the next line, which is, go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Well, that doesn't sound crazy, Peter. That sounds like the logical thing to do is go over and wash your, your face and get rid of all that mud. Except the pool of Silo was three quarters of a mile away. Wait a sec. So you're telling me Jesus could have just went, let me, let me take, the, let me take the, the, the special way of healing you right now. I'll just put some oil on your head. I'll put my hands gently on your eyes. And I'll say, just heal him right now in the name of myself, right? And he gets healed. That would be the easy way to do it. That would be the Christian church thing to do. But no, no, he goes, let me spit in the ground. 
The guy couldn't see. He didn't know what he was doing. And suddenly, slap, bang, mud in his eyes. And he's like, okay, I want you to walk three quarters of a mile now to go wash it off. Three quarters of a mile for a blind guy. Does that make sense? I'll tell you why he made him do it. Because there's something that is fulfilling and completing and joyful and wholesome when you get to be a part of the miracle that God is trying to do through you and in you. Hello. Whatever God is trying to create in this world, he's trying to do it through you. Don't imagine he's trying to make it simple. He might put obstacles in front of you to be able to go do these things, but because he's putting these things in front of you, you're getting to be a part of it. That's where I believe the joy comes from. It's in progress that we find joy. It's seeing ourselves move forward with God. It's seeing ourselves move along with him that we get joy inside of our hearts. It's not because everything is just given to you. The joy comes because you got to be a part of the creation of it. Does this sound like something you wanna do? Is this like something you think, I can see this now? If you see it now, you've got to flip your thinking on this. You've got to stop waiting until things come to pass and everything gets better, multiplication happens, relationships are restored, and everything is perfect in your life before you decide to say, I am blessed, and I'm gonna act like that is already here. I'm gonna act like I already have that blessing. I'm already got my favor of my Father. As soon as you start acting that way, you'll find that you start creating the fruitfulness that is meant to be in your life. You'll find it will start to manifest in your life. Let's stand as we end today's teaching. I want you to decide that you're blessed. I want you to get precise with your words. I want you to get precise with your unity, with your spouse, with your children. I want you to start speaking blessing into them. I want you to stop asking how and start saying, wow. When your wife comes up with an idea and says, hey, honey, I think we should get a house twice as big because I think God's telling me to do it. Don't go, how are we gonna do that? Just say, wow, what do you think our next step is? Turn your how into a wow. Get into the right spirit. Get into the right attitude and believe and trust that because you have that, everything has to respond to you. Your house has to respond to you. Your belongings, your business, your family, your neighbors, they have to respond to you. They're in debt to you. They owe you because God has designed it. Not because you're great, but because God is great and he's designed it to work that way. Father, I pray that there will be a switching in people's minds today. Father, for those who have worked hard, achieved everything they're meant to achieve, now they're looking at it and saying, well, I've done a lot and I've achieved a lot, and so therefore I should sit back and just cruise on by and enjoy this. Father, I pray you would give them new vision that's gonna upset everything. Upset everything to the point that they're maybe gonna have to sell everything in order to get to wherever it is that you're calling them to. Because God, there are greater things you've called us to. There is greater things you want to achieve than just us going for the moon. Maybe it feels like we're shooting for the moon and it's way beyond what we can go for. But Father, if you have called us to do it, if you put those visions in our hearts, if you have designed it to happen, we make a commitment now to say we will act in accordance with the blessing you've given us. 
We will act in accordance with the unity that is demanded in our marriages and in our businesses to bring whatever you want to bring about through me. I pray, Father, that you would bless us now. May God bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. And all God's people said, amen.